another episode of Just Jerry Live, Plotting Perspectives in Church Life with Todd Bright and Jeff Short. Been a couple weeks since we did this. Well, last week was just a little busy uh, when we normally should have recorded. <laughs> yeah, well, it, that's just how life happens. You know, with, even with a schedule where you only work two hours a week or three if you're a busy pastor, you, you, you still have some weeks that are busy. That's true. I've often been amazed at how many people actually do believe that. <laughs> More than you might think. Yeah, and oftentimes it comes from that member who's not afraid to call you about 1130 at night, too. So Right. Well, you and I were blessed to be a part of a teaching seminar, a pastor-teacher seminar this past week. That's the reason we were so busy. That occurred in Richmond, Kentucky. This is the second of these that you and I have had an opportunity to be involved in. That's going to sort of be a springboard for this episode of Just Jerry's. This is not going to be completely about that seminar, but the question would be why or, you know, why to have a seminar like that? Or why would you go to a seminar like that if you are a young preacher or even if you've been preaching for 20, 25 years? What's the benefit? Right. Well, first of all, just to explain the seminar, it's it's not a conference where we just come and you just listen to preaching. It's not that at all. It's These are teaching sessions, and it's where different pastors uh, have come. And in a sense, they're, we're opening up the study door, and we're inviting people in and just sharing things that we have learned and are learning. And also just inviting them into the process of how and why, uh, when we are putting sermons together, when we are preaching, how we're doing those things and why we're doing those things and discussion of different resources and, and tools. So really what this seminar is about is sort of an ongoing education for preachers. Would you say that it's fair to, to make the statement that a lot of people today, especially lay people, but I think this is even common for those in the pulpit, think that if God has called you to preach and he's He's given you the gifts necessary to fill the pulpit, that you are just automatically able to do it without any real help? I think that's, that is probably far too common of a thought, of a mistaken notion. You have any idea why, where that may have come from initially? Well, because sometimes we don't do a very good job, I think, of understanding spiritual things. And so we think, well, you know, the Spirit just gives us understanding. And I had a a pastor many years ago when I was younger who was actually opposed to studying or in any way preparing a sermon. Now, he believed you should be reading the Bible regularly and you should be praying and those sort of things, but he believed that you just got yourself ready by praying and such, and then the Spirit would just give you the message when it came time to preach. I'm just going to go out on a limb and uh, guess that his preaching reflected the fact that he had not studied very much for those sermons. He practiced what he preached. (laughs) You know, it's amazing how often people think that's how preaching happens. 
And I don't know if it's the rise and affluency of Pentecostalism in our day, and it's just sort of seeped down into the various, you know, different denominations of Christianity, but that seems to be a more widespread problem today than it did in previous generations, that you just wake up one day with a message and you don't need any preparation for it. It is a common thought. I think in part also it's it's a misunderstanding of what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 2. You know, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul talks about how the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit and cannot know them because they're spiritually discerned. And for some reason, we assume that that means that, you know, the Spirit just sort of pours into us um, without any effort on our part at understanding. And so I think that we have this mistaken idea that as a preacher, you're just sort of, uh, you know, you're just sort of trying to pray and I guess get yourself in the proper reflective place. And then, you know, the Spirit just gives you a message, but that doesn't take into account a lot of other passages. So Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 14, Peter talks about things that are hard to be understood. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11, the writer there said that he had many things to say. They were hard to be uttered because you're dull of hearing. Well, how can something be hard to un- understand if the Spirit is just, I mean, is the Spirit struggling to be able to explain it to us? Is is the Spirit, you know, struggling to be able to, you know, help us to come to understanding? Well, I think um, if we look, for instance, at what Paul said in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, he said to Timothy, consider what I say. That's an imperative. He's telling Timothy to think about what Paul has written to him. And then the second phrase, and the Lord give you understanding in all things. Well, we tend to look at that and and we say it's one or the other. Does the Lord give us understanding or do we think about and consider and, you know, study to come to understanding? Well, I believe Paul would say that it's both. We are to study. We are to think just like in the book of Proverbs, you know, search for wisdom like you're searching for a hidden treasure. But ultimately, he tells us in that book that wisdom comes from God. Absolutely. And and we know that uh, the scripture tells us to study to show yourself approved. We, we know that that word study implies doing your absolute best, being greatly diligent in that study. You know, it, it's a stronger word than just spending five minutes looking over an outline. This is giving yourself over to the study and doing your best. I think that is clear from New Testament scriptures and maybe Maybe we have confused the Old Testament prophet with the New Testament scripture. Maybe that's part of the problem here is that we see God's leadership of a man through the scripture as being something similar to God actually giving Isaiah or Jeremiah or Obadiah literally inspired words. And those are not the same. We aren't prophets in that sense. No, that's actually revelation. When... The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, you know, go go say this to the house of Judah or whatever. I mean, that we have to understand that's revelation. That's scripture. <laughs> that's not preaching a message of revelation that's already been given. And I, I'll, Those are very different things. Absolutely. I'll say this before we move on to what we want to talk about. But, you know, as, as faithful pastors or what we hope, you know, we are, faithful pastors, we pray that God will open our eyes to the truth of a text and that we, with clarity, present that truth to the congregation. But we can be wrong. 
Well, Isaiah right. could not be wrong in the "Thus says the Lord" that God gave him. Those, right. yeah, those are those are different. That's the difference between, like you say, inspiration and the the leading of the Holy Spirit in the battle that we have within ourselves. Where you know that yeah. no a red light doesn't go off when it's me, and a green light when it's the Holy Spirit. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And Paul told Timothy that he had to give himself wholly or completely to doing this work. He said, you know, he used words that essentially mean to labor to the point of exhaustion. Uh, He spoke of elders that labor in the word and in teaching. So there's there's just no question that we are called as preachers to do our best and to work hard at understanding scripture and communicating that message to the people. So that we can rightly divide the word of truth. Right. Okay, so if that's a fact and preachers today are to study or learn, how important then is is education for pastors? How is that is it important for a man who's filling the pulpit to have some type of education? Is he required to have education? Those I think those are two different questions. And let me well, I, let me say this: there are various types of education. You, you can go to, right. you can go to a seminary and get a doctorate degree in 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 preaching in divinity as they got doctors of divinity. You can um, go to a Bible college, which is sort of a a buffer zone between nothing and seminary degree. And then you yeah, you know, but there are other options today. There are online classes that you can take. What's the difference between us saying a man is required to do this and what still would might not be required but would be good for him? Well, I think that education is required, and we're not strictly limiting that to a formal classroom education where you get a master's or doctorate degree at the end of it kind of program, but we're talking about really the process of learning. And we just realized, well, first of all, let me say that nowhere in the Bible— is any sort of a degree program education required to be a preacher of the word. So it's not required that you go to a Bible college or a seminary or you take correspondence courses. None of those things are required in order to be a preacher. However, it is required that you work hard to learn such that you are showing progress as a preacher, that you are growing in your understanding and in sharpening your abilities to teach others. Now that is required. So is it a, you know, a two-year Bible college degree and you're done? Or is this, is this a lifelong pursuit? Uh, It is certainly lifelong. I mean, Bible college and seminary certainly have their place and they can help in a number of ways, but that doesn't mean that you go for two to four years and then you're just finished with education. That's just helping you get a really good head start and supplying you with a number of valuable tools that you should be using for the rest of your life in learning. I completely agree. And I I think a, a lot of men could just read the right books and educate himself to a great degree. And somebody needs to steer a guy towards those right books, probably. And I would look to older preachers to do that. But education should be life, you know, a lifelong pursuit. And I would say guys that have had a good conservative seminary education, and, you know, those are harder to find perhaps than 
they were 300 years ago, but they're a little bit easier to find today maybe than 50 years ago. There's actually been a few seminaries that have turned back towards a, a more conservative approach to Scripture. Right. But those guys that have that doctorate, if you talk to them and you read after them, they are still reading new books. They are still studying. And though, let me say this as well about a seminary, the, the, our, our readers realize that I, I've got some type of attention deficit thing where I'm all over the place. But, but <laughs> you know, that seminary degree is not required, as you said, but somebody among us needs to have that so that they can help us. Would you say that's fair? Oh, absolutely. And I also think that preachers have to realize that as pastors, you are the resident scholars and theologians of your churches. Amen. Absolutely. Let me bring John MacArthur up for just a second. Now, let me preface this by saying I do not agree with John MacArthur on everything he's ever said. I think you would say the same thing. I'm not bringing him up because he and I are in perfect doctrinal harmony. I'd love to sit down over some coffee and talk to him about a few things. I bring him up because most of our listeners have heard of him and have access to his sermons is the only reason I bring him up. And he's an expositor. He's preached through book after book after book, verse by verse. The reason that I bring him up is that he's well-educated, and he was in the early 70s. But if, right. you, if you listen to his preaching in 1975, which, by the way, is, is available on Grace to Use website, and you listen to his preaching this year, there is a noticeable improvement from 1975 to 2019. Right. Would you say that's fair? I would say that's highly accurate. I'm sure you could, you know, having sermons going back into the early 70s on the website, I'm sure you could probably pick a few sermons and come through maybe every five to 10 years. And you would be able to notice that progress that he was making. And obviously, a result of that is continuing to learn, continuing to study and to grow in understanding. And you'll find, I think, even looking at some of the different doctrinal aspects, how he sharpened on those over the years. So here's the question. That's John MacArthur. Should that be normal for a pastor behind the pulpit? And is that affected by his continuing education? We all have different gifts. And so we're going to have different strengths and weaknesses. And so I don't want anyone to think that they have to be like this guy or like that guy. But the way in which we need to be like someone like that is that we need to be learning and growing in our understanding. So when you look back five to 10 years ago, there should be a sharpening of your understanding of major Bible doctrines. There should be a growth in your understanding of the Bible overall and how different parts of the Bible fit together. And there should also be a discernible difference in your preaching, that your preaching has gotten better. And again, I don't, we, don't, we shouldn't measure ourselves against other preachers. You know, I'm never going to be able to preach like Todd Bryant. I'm just, I'm not going to be able to do that. And it's foolish for me to try to do that. But if I look back over the last five to 10 years of my own preaching, there should be 
improvement. I should have gotten better, both in my understanding of Scripture and also in my ability to preach and teach it. Some would say that'd be a feather in your cap that you can't preach like Todd Bryant. <laughs> but <laughs> the, if, if I look at an outline of mine from 10 years ago, and I were to try to preach just based on that outline, I am going to fall flat on my face. My outlines from 10 years ago are horrendous compared to what they are today. Now, I don't, I'm not saying I've figured out the outlining process. That's not the point. But I feel like I've grown so much in 10 years that I just could not preach those same sermons. And I think a guy that you know, reaches back into outlines from 15 years ago is is handicapping himself to some degree if he's growing. That is right because those outlines are going to look different than the progress you should have made over the past 15 years. Well, really, when you think about it, if you if you're looking at a passage that you preached say 10 to 15 years ago, and you're going to preach that passage today, your handling of it ought to be better today than it was then. Amen. Um, Absolutely. You know, I'm not saying that you've changed your doctrinal positions and all these things, but I'm saying you should have a better understanding of both that passage and how it works and and what it means and also of how to communicate that to people. So I, I think it's really to the detriment of a preacher if if you're um, just continuously preaching old messages. Uh, I would highly recommend that you not do that. Not that you can't use your old notes. Of course, you know, when I look back at mine from 10 years ago, I, I, I can't even hardly understand them sometimes. You know, what in the world was I thinking there? I don't even know what I meant. And <laughs> hopefully maybe in another 10 years, that'll be the, the same way Absolutely. as the things I'm doing today. But I would just recommend don't make a habit of re-preaching a lot of old sermons. Keep studying. And even if you're going to deal with a passage you've dealt with before, um, I would recommend not looking at those old notes right away. You know, do the work on the passage and, you know, then maybe go back and, and look at those and see if there's anything of any benefit that, you know, you want to bring forward, but, but don't just continue to re-preach old sermons because you're really going to hinder your own growth in understanding of scripture and in your ability to preach by doing that. And I think the point being, if a, if a young guy takes a church, maybe it's his first church and he preaches through a book, whether that be, you know, first Timothy or first John or whatever, and after 10 years, he's actually preached through seven more books by that time. His understanding of scripture and doctrinal positions should be richer. Not, Absolutely. Not necessarily different doctrinal positions. That's not the point. But your understanding should be richer with, with a lot more depth so that you can dig for your congregation. And that alone would make that outline from 10 years ago just not quite what it needs to be relative to preaching it today. Right. Okay, so we've looked at it a little bit from the the elder's point of view. What should a preacher look for? Should he have education? Yes. Does that have to be seminary or Bible college or even online training? No, but do what you're able to do. I think we agree there. Absolutely. It should be a lifelong pursuit. It should involve reading books, good books, and even sometimes challenging yourself with a book you may not agree with. Right. All of those things apply to the to the preacher. But what about from the, the view of the pew? Does it matter to the members of a church as to whether their pastor is pursuing education or whether he's not? Does that does that make a difference in their life inside the church and outside the church? It does make a difference. If you think about Ephesians chapter four, pastors are teachers given to the church by Christ 
for the purpose of equipping the members of the church for the work of the ministry that they've been called to and the edifying of the the whole body. That's where, that's where I, I, th- I think today in the setup we have in American Christianity, sometimes we want to do that ministry work by proxy. In other words, we want to hire the pastor to do all the ministry work when really, as you've said, Ephesians 4 teaches us that the pastor teaches the membership how to do ministry work. Absolutely. Well, and so one of the things that we deduce from that is that pastors are one of the means of sanctification that God uses to mature Christians. It's also one of the reasons why, if you're a professing Christian, you should be a member of a local church. Amen. It is one of the means. Now, I'm not saying that a Christian on their own can't study and learn and all those things. Absolutely, you can and you should. But at the same time, recognize that this is the system that God built. I mean, this is what Christ has put in place for the church. This isn't man's idea, but rather pastors are a means of sanctification and maturity. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think sometimes when we're looking for a pastor, we are so caught up on making sure he dots all of his theological I's and crosses all of his theological T's that we forget that we as a church body are hiring this man to mature us in our faith. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not saying you lay aside theological foundations. By all means hire a man who has his theology right. But the the man is hired to mature the body, and we should look at it that way. If if a church service is just you coming to church and a guy saying a few things you agree with in the pulpit, but you're never challenged to go live out your faith, something's off. Something is definitely off. The point being, if a guy who is an elder in a church is growing the way he should be growing in this lifelong pursuit of education— and again, we don't always mean in a classroom. This may all be done in his study. But if he is growing, then he is equipping himself to grow those that God has placed him over as a shepherd. And the church, oh, that's, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that right there is such an important point because as a church member, so you come to the services and you're listening to the preaching of the pastor, you realize that if he is not growing, then you're not growing a whole lot. Your growth and maturity is being hindered by a pastor that is not growing and maturing himself. So if if after 20 years of pastoring, a guy has had little to no education at all, and I by that, again, I hate to keep saying this, but this, we may just be talking about him reading books, not a, not a right. classroom setting. He doesn't read his Bible through on a regular basis. All he ever does is studies for his next topical sermon. That church, after 20 years of that, is not in much better shape than they were when he filled the pulpit for the first time. Would you agree? Not at all. all. And I'll just open, I'll just give a confession and just kind of pull back the curtain here for a minute because I have done this earlier in my ministry. A lot of preachers, when it comes time to prepare a sermon, they sort of think of a topic that they want to talk about and they sort of make an outline of some things they want to say. They spend a little bit of time using a concordance to look up a few verses 
to support what they're saying. And uh, a lot of sermons are probably, you know, given 30 to 45 minutes of preparation. And then the preacher gets up and delivers that. And the problem is, is that he's not saying anything that he doesn't already know. He's not learned anything to bring that kind of a sermon to a church. And think about that happening week after week after week for months and for years. Then that is a pastor that's not learning and growing, and that's also a church that is not learning and growing. Yeah, if he's not teaching more than he already knows after that length of time, he's not teaching anything that the church doesn't already know right. well. And, you know, you tee me up for preaching through books, what what is uh, officially called sequential exposition. And then when I, when I mention it again, you rag me for having mentioned it again. <laughs> but if, if a guy would just start at chapter one, verse one, and preach through a book, he will feed that church well if he does that, you know, faithfully to the text. Absolutely. So let me let me close with this thought. We had a few guys that would like to have attended this seminar, which was a free seminar, by the way, but a guy still had to have gas money and, and a room at the motel, and he had to have time off his job if, if he worked a secular job as well, if he's bivocational. But some guys just couldn't make it. Uh, right. They just weren't in a financial you know, place in life where they could make it. And, you know, we aren't looking at a lot of money they would have been out. If they worked a job, maybe the largest part would have been whatever their daily salary is at their job. But, you know, a couple hundred bucks would have gotten them a motel room and gas and food money there. What is a way that a church can make sure that that guy who wasn't able to attend what is a way that they can make sure to get him there or even other ways that he can pursue lifelong learning? Well, one of the reasons we worked to make the seminar as inexpensive as possible is because we wanted to invest in these preachers and their churches down the road. So we, didn't, we wanted to remove as many barriers and obstacles as possible. But looking at it from a church perspective, now, I'm not saying you have to send your pastor to this seminar that we just had, although that would be a great thing, but sending them to something like that, I honestly, I, especially churches that have younger pastors and pastors that maybe, depending, regardless of their age, maybe they've not been pastoring very long or what have you. When a church does something like that, they are investing in their preacher and they are investing in their church. So, so spending money to you know, send a guy to a seminar like that, it's, it's an investment ultimately in the church and in the future of the church. You know, other things that churches can do, especially with you know, younger pastors and pastors with young families, is to give some sort of an allowance. Set aside some sort of an allowance that is strictly for the use of books and resources that the pastor is going to need in order to study and to learn and, and to prepare messages and to pastor the church. And when you set aside a specific allowance for that, whether you say it's X amount of dollars monthly, you know, you can spend, or if you just, however you want to work it out. But when you set it aside like that, then you're not making that young pastor choose between, you know, food and clothing for his children that they need and books that he needs in order to learn and grow himself and in order to preach well and to teach the church. So really, again, it's an investment that the church can make in its own future and is well worth the investment. 
Well, and that's a wide variety of things that cannot be covered in a simple, you know, three-day seminar, too. Right. You know, for instance, this seminar in no way was geared towards certain theological perspectives. That's not, that was not the point. We didn't bring guys in and try to con- convince them of this or that theological truth. The, the, what we tried to do in this seminar was get a guy to open a text, you know, like, you know, Luke 12, 13 through 21, maybe, and and show him how to approach that text in context and preach that text to his congregation. Now, we did we did talk about things like Christ-centeredness, and those, if, if that definitely is a theological point, but some, we went way below the theology level and just tried to get a guy the bare foundational things he needed to present a text accurately. Right. But a guy needs more than that is the point that I'm saying. This seminar is a great foundation, but he needs more from his church. I've been thankful that the church here has supplied money to buy commentaries for their elders as they teach through a book. And I think they're investing not in their elders. They're investing in their own growth by doing right. that. And and I think a church really should consider as just part of a pastor's salary, certain helps, like you say, give him an allowance where he can purchase the things that he needs to learn to be a better pastor and a better a better preacher. Well, that can also be some software, some Bible study software. And sometimes you have to realize too, that some of these books that maybe are reference books or commentaries, sometimes they're very expensive and you just can't really get them on any good discount. And they're just going to be beyond his ability to be able to buy. Absolutely. I think that's important. Okay. So let me see if I can sum this up uh, real quickly while we close. We've gone a bit long here. Education is important, but that doesn't always mean a classroom environment. That could mean uh, a seminary education, and somebody needs to be doing that, learning Greek and Hebrew, but but that's not required for a guy in the pulpit. There are other options, Bible colleges, online classes. Of course, you and I have a a preacher's program where we work with young guys in in order to teach them exposition. It it takes a little bit of dedication, but it's, it's not seminary. It's not a Bible right. college, you know, and that should be a lifelong pursuit. Even if you have a degree on the wall, you still should be learning. We aren't New Testament prophets in the sense that God isn't opening our minds to a literal thus says the Lord. We actually have to study and learn. And we we do that for the benefit of the congregation. And because of that, the congregation should be helping their pastor get some type of education because it's for their own spiritual well-being to do that. Absolutely. Would you would you add is that is that what we're saying for the most part here? I think that's a pretty good summary. Sounds like a winner. Well, Lord willing, we will talk to you guys later. Hope that you enjoyed this episode of Just Jerry Live on is education important for preachers. <laughs>